if we co-create the standards, the guidelines, et cetera, we're far more likely to, you know, follow them and not feel again, like this is somebody else's team or family here. Hey, it's David. And you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Today, I am so excited to be able to introduce to you Kevin Cruz. Kevin's our guest on this episode, and I think you are going to love hearing from him. He's got so much wisdom and experience when it comes to leadership. Kevin has written several books. Uh, he's a New York Times bestseller. Today, we're going to be talking about Great Leaders Have No Rules, his most recent book. Uh, but Kevin is a serial entrepreneur. He's built and sold several multi-million dollar technology companies, been an Inc. 500 winner, a best place to work, just a fount of wisdom. Now, Kevin and I had a dialogue on this show. He was also interviewing me for his podcast, and so you'll get to hear some of that back and forth. We cover a wide range of topics. Kevin's current venture is called LeadX, and as part of the work that he's doing there, Kevin is providing leadership resources for people everywhere, but he's also working on a really cool project that you'll hear more about at the end of the show, where he's able to combine the startup technology and leadership development. So with no more preamble, here's Kevin. David, officially welcome to my LeadX Leadership Show. I know we're doing a, a combo conversation here. All right, Kevin. Well, uh, officially welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul podcast. It's great to have you as well. Now, you, this is a relatively new podcast for us leader, leadership junkies, right? That's right. In fact, uh, we just started our second season. Uh, so, people listening to your interview that will be in season two, yeah. Congratulations. Uh, I think there's a lot of people that want to become podcasters or they do a couple episodes and say, wow, this is a lot harder than I thought. And um, the fact that you're on season two, you're doing something right. Well, love and you know the the reaction has been great. So it's been good to see people, you know, owning it and liking it in a way that we had hoped would be the case. So that's always fulfilling as well. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have been following this, but like I mean, people who listen to podcasts think everybody listens to podcasts, but it's still kind of a niche thing, but like Spotify has gotten big into podcasts, and I think as more people figure out like, oh, I can listen on However, I'm just listening to music and things. I think the audience is just going to get a lot bigger. Yeah, it continues to spread. And so having that searchable content that is audio content, I mean, what a powerful platform. And it's an amazing world we live in. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thankfully for, uh, for us. Now, David, I, before this show went on, I did a, a quick bio. But in your own words, tell my audience a little bit about you. I just mentioned you're president of Let's Grow, Grow Leaders, co-author of Winning Well. But tell, tell everyone about you. Sure. Well, uh, background, I actually started my professional career as a teacher. I was an educator in inner city schools in uh, Denver, Colorado, and did some uh, nonprofit and human service work. And you know, quickly in, in that experience, the leadership development in that industry usually is not very much. And so mm -hmm. I self-educated and very quickly got into leadership development and helping build the managerial skills, both for myself and then teams of managers and then promoted up and as an executive helped replicate some of that organization around the country and did a lot of leadership development. And honestly, after 16 years looking through my own work, that was the thing I most enjoyed was helping people become that, the best version of themselves and to be as effective as they could. And so uh, several years back, went into business on my own and met Karen, uh, Karen Hurt, my partner and co-author and wife at this point, uh, <laughs> although it started purely business. We wrote a book together and <laughs> fell in love in the process. And so that's a great, uh, a great story as well. But. I can't imagine writing a book with someone and it ending with falling in love. Like I would think that could, you know, people break up marriages over writing books together. Yours were, I'm, su I'm surprised. Well, I have a friend who's an author uh, for many, many years. And as we were uh, working on the co-authoring process and I said, you know, Karen's really got to be a good friend. And he was somewhat prophetic. He said, well, listen, you're going to co-author. There's only two paths. You're either going to hate the person by the end or you're going to love them. <laughs> he didn't know how right he was. Which I'm going to underscore for all of our listeners and say, anyone who's thinking about writing a book with a friend, be very, very careful who that friend is because there's only two outcomes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think he was right. <laughs> So t tell us a little bit. Now, I, we had talked on an earlier episode about Winning Well, but it was way back. But tell me just a little bit about the book, too. 
Sure. So winning well, the subtitle is a manager's guide to getting results without losing your soul. And it is a very practical approach to the day in, day out challenges and solutions that managers need in order to be effective and really achieve transformational and breakthrough results without sacrificing their humanity or losing your mind in the process. So that is, uh, it's a soup to nuts. It's one, many people read it straight through, but other people just open the chapter skim and say, that's the tool I need today. Very yeah. practical, very much read it and apply it right away. And, and, and I think people who follow my work, uh, you know, on, on you know, LinkedIn, social media or, or whatever, um, you know, I've, I've had, you know, a lot of the, the <laughs> bigger names than ours and leadership on. And, and I, you know, I like to write, I like to read. I'm a real leadership junkie. But the, the work you guys do, your book, uh, your blog posts, even your social media, like I think is the best in the business. Like oh, I'm, I'm often like, oh, that's an interesting thing. Or just probably three days ago, I'm like, I, I, when we're not recording, uh, I'll have to ask like, how the heck do you guys have such great Twitter game? Because <laughs> the content's great. Your followers are high. Like I'm, uh, I mean, you guys, like everybody should be following you guys because you're doing it better than most. Well, I appreciate that. And that, that actually means a lot coming from you. So as I would tell anybody listening to this who isn't already following Kevin Cruz, that if you're not, you're making a mistake uh, <laughs> for all the same reasons. But uh, thank you for that. That's, uh, that's high praise and a, quite a compliment. But, you know, ultimately it's leadership and the fundamentals of leadership that we, you know, I know you and I are in alignment on. It's about serving and it's about helping right. and about helping people to grow and develop and, and on that journey. And so it's another aspect of that work. So what do you guys see as, um, cause I know, I mean, you guys are doing keynotes, you guys are doing, doing classes, like what is a core message or what do like first time managers need to hear and know about, about leadership? Do you think? Oh, you know, if you get really practical at the fundamental level, uh, clear expectations, the 90% of the challenges that, that when we're working with frontline or new managers, 90% of the challenges that they're running into are they're frustrated with somebody, but that person's understanding of what's expected of them is not the same as their leader. And so just getting clarity around shared expectations and what success looks like and why what you're doing matters and why it's important. If you can do those things effectively day in, day out, everything else becomes easier. Yeah. yeah. How, how would you answer that question? What's what? From uh, your well, si- similarly, I mean, when I think about <laughs> when I was, I always say young and dumb and a bad first time manager, I didn't realize the importance of being crystal clear on expectations. I didn't understand the importance of giving, you know, effective feedback. And I had uh, like personality blockers. Like I, I continue to be like a people pleaser. It's really hard for me to have a crucial conversation or uh, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but, but I didn't know what I didn't know. I mean, I was doing startups from the beginning. I never, never went to a management training program or anything like that. Um, so I agree that just some of those core fundamentals um, are key. And what's kind of funny, David, is, is so I've got three kids and my uh, oldest, uh, my two daughters, one's uh, going into her senior year of college and is doing internships. The other one's a freshman and she's working in retail for, uh, for the summer. And so now they're not in management, but I'm hearing they've entered the work world for the first time. So they come home and more often than not, you know, teenagers are complaining about their managers. And, um, and I try to, like what I hear, you know, I, I can sense like, yeah, the managers are not doing certain things right. But I try to, I don't never put it on the manager. I say, okay, well, what can you do to change the situation or whatever? Absolutely. And a lot of it, um, you know, my oldest just ended up leaving an internship that went bad. Uh, and um, it was working for someone who, uh, really just was not clear uh, in terms of the daily or weekly expectations of the work. And they didn't have a cadence of communication. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a remote situation, which makes it tougher, right? And so, you know, my daughter, Amanda, would be sending emails that would never get read, but then the manager would send text messages back. And, and I just feel like, oh, wow, I just wish I could grab the two of them <laughs> and Sit be them like, down. okay, yeah. You know, like, what is the body of work that needs to get created this week? What's the agreement on how often you will communicate and in what form? Uh, and um, response time, you response know, response time, it, right? I often say it's just like a service level agreement. You know, it's like, what what's our standards? What's our expectations on the team with each other? But again, you know, we this seems like obvious stuff to guys like us. It's not so obvious to a lot of first time managers. <laughs>
And we've done a lot of work with a lot of organizations and we have a, a team communications checklist that we will work people through. And it is interesting how often people will answer the question, like a stoplight kind of analysis, green, yellow, red, how often people will answer the question, do we return emails and phone calls in a timely manner? And it gets a, a green or a yellow. Yeah, we, we kind of do. And then you ask them, well, what is a timely manner? And the, <laughs> the answers range everywhere, depending on the form of communication from two days to two hours and wow. everything in between. And so just getting clarity around those kinds of things can help improve performance and trust and, and all the relationships that are necessary to, to get great results. See, you just stumbled into gold already. Like I wrote it down. So um, like, do you make available on your website, the team communication checklist or, or do you have a blog post about this kind of idea? We sure, we sure do have that blog post and I'll have to uh, get you the URL yeah, and put good. it in the show notes afterwards. But yeah, it's, it's one of the tools that's in our, uh, that we give everybody we work with and it's certainly available via the blog post as well. So I'll yeah, share. Yeah. And that's such a great insight. It's like, it's one thing for everyone to say, oh yeah, we get back to each other on a timely basis. And then you find out your idea is like within the hour, mine's within the week. And no wonder we've got emotion going on, you know. And it's normal because our sense of what makes sense makes sense to us. You know, I always like to ask people, when was the last time you didn't make sense to you? <laughs> Yeah. And you hadn't been drinking. I think it's important right. to clarify that. But right. And so, you know, Karen and I ran into this when we uh, formed our partnership. Uh, yeah. She has a, a high response time, a very short response time. If she sends an email, she expects to hear back within two to four hours on most right. topics. And mine was more of a 24 hour cycle unless there was some urgency expressed in the, in the message. So yeah. we had to have that conversation. If we had to have that conversation, everyone needs to have that conversation. Yeah. And, and this gets at um, a couple of books ago, I wrote a book about productivity and time management. And that's often a, a fundamental thing where, you know, I'm trying to preach, um, especially, you know, especially with email of like, look, it's not, it shouldn't be an always on quick response device because it's interrupting us. We, we can't do deep work. We can't think strategically, creatively. Um, and then people will say, but my boss expects X minutes or whatever. And I say, first of all, are you, is that an assumption or did they, clear, did they state it? And it's different if they've stated it. But then I always say, all right, well, if you have a, a decent enough relationship, just talk to your boss and say, listen, in order to fulfill your goals, I want to deep dive into some projects. And so I would like to open email and process it at 9 a.m., 12, 3, and 5. But then I'm, when I'm done, those windows, it's closed. Is this okay? Now, I've never heard anyone come back and say, oh, I got yelled at, or they said that's ridiculous, or whatever. When you say, in the spirit of productivity, a better productivity, here's the response times. And usually, it's within hours instead of days. Everybody's like, oh, sure, I get it. You know, no problem. Everybody and has that same challenge. You always say, email it, but if you need it in, you know, faster than three hours or four hours, come knock on my door, pick up the phone and ring it. And then I'll answer. You know, or text or whatever, or use Slack or whatever. There's so many different ways that, that we have. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's such an important conversation to have. And I think I want to underscore what you just said is that don't assume, you know, that's where we get ourselves in trouble. We, we assume because there was a reaction to something one time that that's the way it is all the time. And that's not necessarily the case. Especially yeah. when you frame it in terms of, I'm trying to, to help and I want to be as productive as we can. Hey, I want to, um, this is like a selfish question, but I know I get a lot of listeners who are themselves consultants, writers, you know, solopreneurs and, and stuff. Um, what have you guys found like in the last year or so uh, has been an effective way to, you know, grow your business, whether it's speaking gigs, consultants, like Inside baseball, what's working these days? Inside baseball. So, uh, and you know, and I always am cautious when I share these things with anybody in this line of work is that your mileage may vary and you need to know your strategy before you choose a particular tactic. All that said, our number one strategy for business development is content marketing. Mm. So, you know, you mentioned it earlier, the social media game, the blog post, the pie, all of it. We, we try to be helpful to people where they are in the moment and that leads to work. It's yeah. not exclusively, it's not the only way we market, it's not the only way we do business development, but it is by far the leading way that, that we get work and that people say, hey, can you come and help our people is because of that content. Now, when, when, it, so when it comes to content marketing, do you think it's more like search engine optimization? So they're looking for, 
how to give feedback. I'm just making that up. And then they find an article you may have written on it. And then they're like, wow, they're smart. Let's bring them into our company. Or are they already reading your columns? I don't really know where all the places other than your own blog that you might be. Are they finding your content without searching for it? Uh, the answer is yes. It's a both <laughs> and. Yeah, it's a both and. So search engine optimize for sure, but then also write uh, compelling uh, and you know, hopefully insightful and title it in ways that are provocative and, and make people want to read. And so that's a both and. Some of your titles should do that. Some of them should work for the search engines uh, if you're pursuing a content marketing strategy. And But the most important element, once you're getting that click and somebody's opening it, is have something useful to say that they can go and apply right away and get some benefit from. Yeah. And if that's the case and you're adding value that way, it makes sense they're going to want to pick up the phone and say, hey, can you come and add this value in a more direct way? Well, let's talk about it. So Great Leaders Have No Rules. That's your newest book, Contrarian Leadership Principles to Transform Your Team and Business. You know, every author have to ask, like, why did you write this book? And you've written several, so why this one? Yeah, you know, this is one that... Um, uh, it's been sitting with me for, for almost 20 years because the title, which is a chapter title as well, is a true story based off a true story where this was 20 something years ago and um, I had sold my company and, and as part of the deal, I went and joined the, the bigger company reporting to the CEO and he gave me this big talk trying to keep me engaged, of course, like, Kevin, you know, I'm not your boss, we're partners and everybody gets one vote and we're going to build this company together. And I, I, that sounded great to me. And 30 days in, I got my first expense check back and it was short by like $4 or something. And I thought, well, it's not a lot of money, but maybe I filled out the form wrong. So I emailed the CFO and said, hey, it seems like it's short a few bucks. Like, did I do something wrong? And he said, um, no. He says, um, we don't reimburse for Post-it notes. And I had bought post-it notes, you know, when I showed up for work, tried to reimburse the office supplies and they wouldn't do it. So I bumped in to my first rule that no one had mentioned, by the way. Yep. And, you know, I emailed back, I'm like, why? And he emailed back and he says, wasteful expense. And so in that moment, you know, how much of a partner did I feel like? How much of a VP did I feel like? How much of this being my company versus their company? And that was a very real lesson in that every time we bump into a rule, it takes away the opportunity for us to make a choice. And all of a sudden it becomes your company, not my company or their company, you know, mm-hmm. quote unquote, not my company. And, you know, I, I immediately went to the CEO over this and, uh, and there, <laughs> this became the, the post-it note battle in, in, in lore um, because other people were like, yeah, you know, they, they, took off $3 because I had ordered a beer with my meal while I was out traveling on business. And they said, you could have ordered a $6 milkshake, but not a $3 beer. Right. And, um, you know, the CEO, Rudy, to his credit, when he heard that people were getting upset about this, this expense rule, um, he said, all right, fine. Everybody can buy post-it notes. The rule's gone. But he said, Kevin, let me just explain what's going on. It's not about post-it notes. He says, one of our corporate values is profitability. And that's kind of a weird value to have. But, you know, he had a whole thing about, look, the purpose of life is not to breathe, but you better be breathing to go fulfill your purpose. And so he was very much about, like, we got to be profitable here. And he said, I used to go around the office and people would scribble little doodles on post-it notes. They take phone messages on post-it notes. And he says, you know what I use? And he grabbed a stack of ragged paper, like printer paper that he had torn twice. So we had little squares. He says, doesn't cost anything. And that's what I doodle on. That's what I take phone messages on. So he said the post-it note rule was a symbol of frugality. Now, even though he had abolished the rule, because he didn't know it was bumming people out, because we had a conversation about it rooted in our values, in the symbolism and what drove the culture, I never tried to submit post-it notes again. I never bought post-it notes because, you know, I, I wanted to be part of the team. I wanted to be a member. I wanted to represent, but that's the difference. And so, you know, the, the, the big example is like Netflix, you know, they say freedom with accountability. It's not like you can just go do anything you want. Um, but rather than have these rules, dress code, expense policy, all these rules, the fewer the rules, the better, but it doesn't mean everybody does what they want. It means we're having conversations about standards. You know, what are the guardrails? 
What are our cultural standards? And if you're a knucklehead who, who buys ridiculous office supplies or seven beers at dinner, okay, that's a, that's a coaching conversation. <laughs> Maybe it's not quite a coaching conversation. You're going to get that feedback. But Absolutely. again, Netflix says about 3% of their employees seem to stray beyond the guardrails, but most people feel totally empowered, engaged, and you know, enjoy that freedom. Yeah, get that objective clear and then release people to go after it in a way that makes sense. And you know, I, 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 as an executive, I always used to tell my, my folks, listen, every policy that we have to create is a, uh, is a symbol of somebody's lack of common sense. That's right. Or not understanding. So let's fix that. Let's lead well. Let's get those things taken care of. And then you don't have to have as many policies and rules because everybody knows what you're trying to achieve and you're going in that direction. And you can deal with the exceptions as exceptions as opposed to trying to make a rule for every exception. Yeah. That, and that, I think that's what it gets down to. And, and often the rules are put in place because one person, the exception, did something wrong. And instead of having a courageous conversation where you're, you're talking to this person about it, it's like, well, wow, did you see how so-and-so was dressed on Friday? Okay, well, instead of talking to that person about they're not dressed professionally for work, let's just send a memo out next week to everybody. And then we run around, you know, measuring whatever, shirt lines and yep. whatever it is. Right? So it's much wasted energy. I, I call it the don't throw fish rule. Uh, and we talk about this in Winning Well, the, the, the uh, idea, and this goes back to my education, education way back when. You know, a lot of teachers will set up their classroom rules and one of those rules, you know, we, we don't throw the balls at each other. And little Tommy, who's going to be an attorney someday, doesn't throw a ball, throws a block. And so, you know, <laughs> added to the rule list, don't throw balls, don't throw blocks. <laughs> little Tommy's going to be an attorney. He says, huh, they didn't say anything about fish. And so now there's a don't throw fish rule as opposed to how about we treat everybody with respect and dignity. And exactly. that's our objective and that's our culture. Everything points to that. Yeah. And when I, when, again, like the, the book title and the, the chapters are, are intentionally a bit contrarian provocative, just because I'm trying to break through, you know, and get, get some attention to the, to the topic. And when it first started hitting social media, I would get a lot of not, not negative comments, but things like no rules. Well, almost, I always say, <laughs> you always have to be honest with me or there's no line or something. And it's like, of course, but rather than telling your team members, you have to always be honest and never lie to me. How about have a conversation about integrity and do we want integrity on this team yeah. or what would it look like if we were to lie? Like make it a conversation. If, if, if we co-create the standards, the guidelines, et cetera, we're far more likely to you know, follow them and not feel again, like this is somebody else's team or family here. Yeah. Everybody has ownership. Everybody has ownership. People will fight to protect what they helped to build. And so the more they can build those rules of the classroom, of the family, David, this is where people go really crazy. Cause <laughs> I grew up, my dad was, uh, so I grew up in the seventies in California. My sisters were older, always getting in trouble. So, I mean, he had curfews, he had all kinds of rules. And it was, it, you know, they, these always come from a good place. I mean, he wants them home at 10 o'clock because he cares about them. But it becomes about the rule. It becomes about power. If they come home at 10, 10, well, now, oh, it's about respect. You're not, not having any respect. It's a whole different thing. So I've got three teenagers, and I'm going to knock on wood. And, you know, they're, they're good kids. Um, I hope they stay that way. But I've never had a curfew, never had a rule. And it's not that they can go do whatever they want and that they're just running wild, but it's like when they say, you know, Kevin, uh, dad, <laughs> um, we, we, we want to go out late tonight, you know, a high school party or whatever it is. I don't say be home at 11. I say, what time do you plan on being home? And remember, because I love you, I'm going to be staying up late worrying about you until you get home. And remember, I got to get up early to take your brother to basketball and now what time would you like to come home? And then when they say 11, and usually they'll say something earlier than what I would have said, um, it's all fine, you know? And then whether they come home on the minute or five or 10 minutes late, it's okay. You know, it's the, they, we all were on the same page about it. So even at home, you know, the more we can, with our spouses, with our kids, et cetera, uh, co-create the environment, the better. Well, I hope everybody was taking notes right there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's such a good example. And you get at it like leadership is a relationship. Every relationship uh, has those same fundamental tenets. Do we trust one another? Are we listening to one another? 
is there that mutual respect? And so that, co- that act of co-creation you just described, so powerful for every aspect of our life. Love yeah. That, that word co-creation um, is becoming to mean more and more to me. Now, I, I mean, so I'm 52 and like, it's not a word I thought about even five years ago very much. And I, I wish it wasn't so important because I'm an introvert. Uh, I'm, I'm a driver. Uh, you know, I hated team projects in school <laughs> and I still hate team projects. Now. Like, I just want to do it myself. You know, I wish it wasn't about co-creation, but it really is. I mean, if you want to create anything great, a great family, a great community, a great workplace, it's about co-creation and it's, that's about relationship. It's just, just true. Let's talk about what appears to be perhaps opposite, but so we've got that curiosity because this contrarian title uh, and I know where you're coming from and I love it, but I definitely wanted you to get to, to get you to weigh in a little bit on this idea of closing your open door policy. What on earth are you talking about there? Yeah. Again, I think there was a time and where this obviously came from a good place. You know, it's, it's well-intended, you know, an open door policy is, you know, facilitates communication and you could even flat organization, leapfrog your boss, talk to anybody, uh, get your ideas out there, solve problems, all good stuff. But the reality is very different. And, you know, the obvious one is that the person being interrupted and again, these days, it's not always a physical closed door. Uh, it's, it's being interrupted with a Slack message or in an open office space, even with your headphones on, people tapping you on the shoulder. A lot of ways to break through that open door. You know, it's impossible now to get the deep work done, the serious work done, getting into that flow state when you're constantly being interrupted. But that's the obvious part. Less obvious and maybe more important is there's re- research done showing that about half of the team members out there, they, they'll never go through the open door. That's that right. policy is, it's a passive communication policy, putting the burden on your team members. It's like, well, it ain't my fault the communication's not working. My door's open all the time. Everybody knows they can come in anytime. And whether it's through fear or not wanting to interrupt you or whatever it is, half the people will never, will never come through that door. And then uh, Marshall Goldsmith had a funny article about it. And he talks about the other half who is coming through your door all the time. And he says, <laughs> all right, wait a minute. Why are so many people coming through your open door without a scheduled meeting? Did you hire the wrong people? Did you not give them any training? Or do you not have a climate of psychological safety where they feel like they can try to solve the problem? They can make a decision. It, it, no matter how you look at it, if people are coming through a lot, you're doing something wrong as the, as the leader. So, you know, I don't say like, shut the open door and don't let people come in. You know, I, I talk about close your door, open your calendar. So think about office hours and to each their own. I mean, maybe your office hours are every day for five hours of the day, but you've got like the morning protected as your, your thinking time, uh, your deep work time. Maybe office hours is the final hour of every day. Maybe it's only on Fridays. You know, you can all make whatever you want, but the idea is to, to send the message. I think it'd be healthy for everybody hey, okay, we're going to respect getting hard work done during these hours. So if possible, don't come barging through our closed doors, our headphones or whatever it is. Um, and then here's the time where, where we should be allowed to be interrupted. And I think more importantly, to make communication you know, more active from the seat of the leader, I'm just a huge fan of like the weekly one-on-one meetings, the team huddles, if you're in a fast growth organization, daily standups. And those are things that no one's going to come through your open door if they know like, oh, you know what? It's Thursday, but I'm going to be sitting down with Kevin on Monday for half an hour anyway. Like this can wait. Or I got a quick question, but I know we're all huddling up for 15 minutes at 5 p.m. I'll just hold it until then. So to get that cadence of communication, consistent communication, um, I, I think that's a much better way to facilitate the same kind of communication. Oh, without a doubt. And, you know, there's uh, something you said there I want to expand on a little bit that you said in passing, but I think it's important is that this idea of defining time for, for you as a leader to do the deep thinking work you need to do, that's not just for you. Extend that to the whole team and to have that conversation that says, you know, whatever works in your environment, let's say, you know, between 930 and 11 a.m. And then again, 2 to 330. That's our deep think time. And so everybody's fill, you know, in quotes, door is closed. You can interrupt that time under the following circumstances. If it's an emergency at this level, and this is what constitutes emergency, 
great. And, you know, working with different managers who have, who have been able to do that, it wasn't just controlling and helping themselves to be more productive. That helps everybody to be more effective. Yeah, the, um, the behavioral psychologist, Dan Ariely, you know, had this uh, article talking about, you know, everyone's a little bit different, but most people, their cognitive abilities are strongest for about a two hour window at about two hours after we've woken up, you know, so if you wake up at six in the morning from like eight to 10 is kind of your prime time. And then the glucose starts getting burned up out of your brain and we lose our ability to, you know, make good decisions uh, to motivate ourselves, to have self-control and all the rest. And so a lot of CEOs, uh, Jeff Bezos from Amazon talks about, if he has to make a big decision, he won't do it in an afternoon. He'll wait till the next day at 10 a.m. when he knows he's primed for that. All the faculties, yep. Yeah, so it just makes a lot of sense. Too much sense not to do it. And yeah, so <laughs> let's go back to the idea of the open door policy though, just so that, you know, if we've got anybody kind of new and going, gosh, what is this? You know, the, the idea is not that you're not going to be approachable and that you don't want to hear. I mean, that's the, right, the good intention you mentioned behind the open door policy is, listen, you've got anything you need to bring to me, I'm all ears and I want you to come. And, uh, and the door is always open. It's a philosophical door. Schedule with me, get with me, however that looks. To your point, that doesn't mean you're constantly interruptible. And I think that's the, the key thing if we're going to be productive and help our team to be productive. So yes, be open in that way. And then the other piece that is so vital, the best ideas aren't going to usually are not going to walk through your door. <laughs> so are you going after them? Are you going out and having the conversations? Are you creating the safety by asking the courageous questions? You know, what's the number one thing that's getting in the way of us serving our customer? And when you ask that and actually actively listen, now you've created safety. People know you actually want an answer, not just, you know, safe silence or ignoring it, whatnot. So, yeah, yeah. I was going to say one more example of that. And it's often, you probably see the same thing is, is, uh, people can really up their leadership game in the little things they're doing. And, you know, someone was telling me just recently that his team dynamic changed dramatically when he used to go into meetings and be like thinking he was doing a good job and saying, all right, we've got this problem. How are we going to solve it? Someone says something. He's like, that's a great idea. How are we going to execute it? Let's do that. Well, he stopped. And he said, now he always says he never takes the first idea or at least not right away. So like, that's a great idea what's another great idea and what's another idea? And he also knows that, you know, there's going to be introverts in the room or people that are newer on the team. And if David hasn't said anything, he'll say, David, what do you think? Do you have a different idea or which of these ideas do you like? And it's only after like everybody in the room has weighed in in one way or another, do they then grab something off that parking lot and start to, to work with it. Well, that's great advice for everyone. Again, at leaders at every level, I think we all need those reminders. And I, I certainly have had that happen myself. I remember working with an executive coach one time and uh, I was trying to get the diversity of opinion and get all the thoughts in the, in the, the room. And, and we were getting to consensus too quickly for my taste. Sometimes everybody would rally around something and go. And a coach I was working with, she said, it's time to look in the mirror, David, how are you presenting the problem? How are you talking about the ideas? And yes, and those little things, uh, it was clear I was favoring things. And even when I was asking for, you know, what, give me the 5%, what could go wrong with this idea? Right. People weren't always comfortable sharing it, and it was up to me, the leader, to, to provide that. So yeah. uh, what an important uh, reminder for everybody. Like, gosh, if you're going to get the best ideas, it's up to you to get them. So that was the first chapter. I mean, we just had a link. That was the first chapter of Great Leaders Have No Rules and all of the benefits that can come from that. Um, and and you know, we, we have limited time, but Kevin, there's, there is one more that I really wanted to ask you about. I mean, there's so many good, good chapters in the book for everybody that's listening. But you talk about being real and showing weakness and, uh, as a leader, which I just think is so important if you want their hearts to be connected, like you've got to show yours. And yet, I think this is something a lot of leaders struggle with. Yeah. So I'm curious your take on what it means to be real or show weakness or things like that. Uh, I was just working with somebody uh, an hour before this call who felt like they had shown some weakness and were eviscerated by mm. some of their senior leaders. And so he was, you know, where and it may not have been a good place for him to be in the long term, but right. you know, people have those fears. So talk to us a little bit about what that means from your perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think again, when, when I was in my twenties, early thirties, I had, um, older executive mentors, you know, tell me, um, 
Kevin, they would say things like leadership is acting, or they would say uh, you can never share uh, the bad news because you don't want people updating their resumes and looking for a job. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was initially told, you know, that, and it, it, this obviously comes from the old authority command and control style where you're leading through authority, you're leading through power. Uh, the military uh, uh, model was where this all came from. You want everybody like, we're going to win, you know, all, all, all pumped up. But this day and age, I mean, people will not trust you if you are not authentic. They will not trust you if you're not transparent. And so trust, nothing happens without, without trust. They're not going to be engaged. They're not going to, you know, so trust is paramount. And so authenticity, transparency is a driver of trust. For myself, I mean, you know, I do struggle with, and in the book, you know, I, I talked to, you know, a Navy SEAL, uh, former Navy SEAL commander as an example about, all right, so how much, how much sharing is too much sharing? You know, at what point do you, do you cry in front of, uh, of people? Do you tell them you're really scared and all that? And he says, Kevin, he said, you got to remember is, um, he said, first of all, you're transparent with all of the facts. So, here's the situation. And if there's something bad about the situation, you do share that because that's how people will help come up with a solution Mm -hmm. or be equipped to respond in the most appropriate way. And you'll build trust so that they're not going to think, well, what, what is he not telling me? Like what, you know, the boss just said, we're having a slow quarter. Does that mean we're all going to be laid off? You know, like as long as you're straight all the time, then they know it's no worse than what, what you're telling them. But what he said was um, it's the irrational fears as a Navy SEAL commander, that that's where he would draw the line. He said, we're all human. We all have emotions. Emotions aren't always triggered for logical reasons. Never really are, right? So he said, you know, he would be honest and say, here are the orders. Here's how we're going to do it. And yes, I, this isn't quite the plan I would have picked. It's the plan we have and we're going to make the most of it. And, you know, you, you go forward with that. And I'm forgetting who taught me, someone on the show, or maybe it was like even I may have read it in you know Brene Brown's work, but it's talking about sharing with the people who have earned the right to hear it. So, mm-hmm. you know, hey, maybe if I've got a frontline team member who joined last week, I'm not going to open up about all my fears on the business or that we've only got five days of cash left in the bank or something. I might say, hey, we're, we're all really focused right now on cash collections to, you know, drive blah, blah, blah. But it, if I'm talking then alone with my business partner who I've known for 10 years, why wouldn't I be fully transparent? Like, geez, we only have five days cash in the bank. We got to come up with some ideas because I'm freaking out. So it's sort of like you can modulate your transparency. It's not lying. It's just sort of like, okay, realize there's, you have different relationships with different people. Can they handle the truth? And again, that's part of your job to make sure they can, you know, do you, um, early on, I was sharing um, my P and L with my uh, young team members, but I hadn't fully trained them up in business acumen. And so, so they didn't have the context to be They didn't have the context. So I would be like, whoa, we're killing it. We only lost $100,000. We were <laughs> supposed to lose a million dollars. So we're like way ahead of budget. And they're thinking, oh my God, we're losing money. You know, so it was a different kind of thing. And I had to stop that until I really trained them into, you know, P&Ls and accounting and all, all those things. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's a great example of the modulation of transparency. You know, on the one extreme, there's like this total stream of consciousness where you're just barfing everything that you're thinking or feeling. Every, and that's not productive or helpful for anybody. And then at the other end, we're at this complete vault. And so, right. yeah, with, with the earning the, what have they earned the right to hear? Yeah. What, are, what are they ready for? And, and often that's a great developmental strategy too, is as somebody is growing to say, you know what, okay, it's time for them to hear a little more and then let's put it in context and, uh, and get them um, thinking about this. And that helps them to think more strategically as well. You know, you hear so many leaders are like, oh, my people won't think strategically. Well, are you giving them the information that's to right. think strategically and helping them as you were talking about having the context to do that? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and at the very uh, least, making sure that we are our own, you know, best versions of ourselves, not trying to be like another leader. I'm going to be like Jack Welch. I'm going to be like Bill Gates. I'm going to be like whoever, you know, the big iconic leader is at the time. That never works. That never works. I mean, you really need to understand, you know, what is your own personal mission, vision, values? What's your own leadership model? 
what's your like under have great self-awareness personality yeah. styles whatever uh and and be the best version of who you are don't try to be someone you're not and having the like both the confidence in who you are and the humility to recognize you're not someone else and i, I well i have so many stories about that but i remember one of them was i i wanted so badly to be the the inspirational the halftime speech giver type of motivational leader and and that even from this podcast, probably understand that's not my personality. <laughs> and when I tried, and I oh, bless my heart, I tried. And it came across so weird and inauthentic. And <laughs> I wasn't comfortable. It was horrible. Yeah. And so that, you know, that being who you are and being authentic and being real, uh, you're, everybody connects with you better when you're that person. And that's you're right. not going to connect with everybody because you're not meant to. So that's okay. That's right. That's right. So what, what, was, what was most uh, of all the stories you share, Kevin, in, in the book, Great Leaders Have No Rules? I mean, if you only could pick one for uh, somebody to walk away with and say, I just hope they'll remember this, what would be that, that story, that tool, that understanding? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would just go back to where we started, you know, with, with, with the title. I mean, if there's one takeaway, it's realizing that rules imposed by you or the organization are getting in the way of engagement. And so, I mean, you know, we can't just, most of us are not in a position where we can just go throw away the HR employee handbook or whatever it is. But within reason, I say, go, go back to your partner at home, go back to your kids, go back to your team and say, all right, let's talk about rules for a second here. Which ones bother you? Which ones are actually hurting our success, our productivity? which ones are getting in the way of, of feeling like we're connected um, in the best way possible? Why do we think the rules were made to begin with? Um, what would be maybe our standards or values that would be a better way to think about it? Uh, and I, you know, David, I, I speak from, you know, a lot of um, personal experience where, you know, I, I uh, ended up, you know, divorcing my wife or she, you know, we broke up. And we didn't know it at the time, but like I had started a business for five years and she, and this was, I'm a serial entrepreneur. So she'd been there through a, four, a few of these beforehand. And she said, if you're going to start this business, well then you've, you got to come home every day at five to eat dinner with me and the kids. And you got to watch the kids afterwards and you can't work on the weekends. And I readily accepted because I'm like, I want to start this business and fine, I'll do that. And, but it became about, um, it, we both thought the agreement was fine. And what it was about was controlling actions instead of outcomes. Mm -hmm. So I was there every day at five and at night and all the rest, but I was there physically. My mind was like, Oh my gosh, there's so much work I got to do. Yeah. And I'm sitting here resentful, you know, stacking blocks with the one year old when I really need to work on that proposal or whatever it is. And you don't really, we didn't know what we didn't know. And so, you, you know, four or five years goes by, business is a huge success. And as the business climbed up and I eventually sold it within months, literally the marriage, we, we, we broke up. And looking back, we can both see that there was a way better way to handle that conversation early on. It goes back to conversation and co-creation. And what should have happened is we could have had a conversation about how important that business is to me and our shared values around certain wealth or whatever, and our shared values around a strong family and a strong marriage and what might get in the way of that and how could we hold on to that strength at a time of a lot of work. It would have been a whole different relationship and experience for those five years, but we didn't know. And so, I mean, it's going back to the very same thing we had touched on, but I encourage people is just to pause. What rules have you imposed on yourself in your own life? Maybe you haven't even thought about it, but like, mm. oh, I would never, I would never start a business unless this, or I would never date a person who does that or whatever. Like, what are your rules for your own life? Self-leadership. What are your rules in your family or in your marriage? What are your rules for your team members at work? And is there a better way to get at what you're trying to get at? Not through rules, but by conversation that co-creates, you know, some values and standards. Boy, that is so powerful. And now you've really got me thinking about the, even the rules that you've created for yourself 
that are not necessarily helping you achieve the objective. And maybe you put them there for a good reason, but what is it you're really trying to achieve? What are you really trying to build? And what's the conversation even to have with yourself to help you? That's right. And, you know, the other thing I I would have to like call time out and point attention to it, Kevin, is as a leader, the act of transparency that you just shared with us, right, about your relationship and what happened there and, and the reality of that, you know, that's a leadership move for everybody that's listening. And, you know, if you were sharing that with your team at work or as a leader listening to this podcast, if you've got some, you know, again, we're not dumping all over the place, but with people we can trust with a certain level of truth, that was powerful. And it makes it that much more real. It's a strategic story to help us grasp what it is you're trying to get. So thank you. I appreciate that, David. Thank you. I'm always curious, uh, your people's earliest memory of themselves as a leader. Um, you know, if you, if you were to think back, what is your earliest memory of yourself as a leader? Yeah, I, um, that's a great question. I'm going to, I'm going to crib that for uh, future, future interviews. You know, again, for myself, it it would go back to sort of like self-leadership. And um, I mean, it was still a time when I was a a teen and I mentioned, you know, I had older teen sisters who were getting involved in a lot of bad stuff and I was going down that path. But there was, uh, I won't get into the story again at this point. We'll do it for our next joint interview. But um, there there was a point where all of a sudden, I mean, I went on the straight and narrow and said, all right, like I've got a vision for my own life in the future. And I'm going to stop hanging around with these people. I'm going to stop doing these bad and sometimes illegal things. And, um, you know, I ended up becoming a straight A student, became the first kid in my extended family to go to college, worked my way through college and all the rest. And um, again, at the time, I wouldn't have thought of it as leadership, um, but I realize now, so to me, leadership is influence. If you boil it down, it's influence. How do you influence yourself? How do you influence others? It's, it's really leadership nonetheless. And so for me, but it took like this bad incident where I'm like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm going down the wrong path. I can see that bad direction. I want this other direction now let's get some self-leadership and, and let's find ways to influence myself to, to stay on the straight and narrow. And, and when it came to people leadership, I mean, unfortunately, I was a horrible boss in my 20s. It took a while to understand that. Um, so that, that came much later, but the self-leadership kicked in early. How about you? Oh, uh, I love that story, that self-leadership. <laughs> and by the way, yes, use that question. I, I ask every guest that question. It's just fascinating to see people's journeys. And for me, my earliest memory is 11 years old. I have this distinct memory. I'm the oldest of six kids. And one day in the backyard, every age group in our family, all six kids were in the backyard with their group of friends. And so there was a swing set and a, a waiting pool. And there were people in the pool, the younger kids and the middle-aged kids were on the swing set. And then I had my older friends. We were throwing a fizz, frisbee around the, the yard. And there was this moment in time, and I kind of jokingly describe it as the universe kind of had a gong. And it's like the, the particles of dust paused in the sunlight. And it felt so good to have helped orchestrate and, as you said, influenced all of this activity to be happening simultaneously in the same space. But everybody was working. It was productive, as you can be when you're 11 or younger. And, and it was such a good feeling. And so that, for me, was, I think, one of my earliest memories of influencing, saying, hey, I, I helped make this happen. And this was fantastic. I should do more of this. And I like using the word orchestrate. You know, it's like an orchestra. You know, you're, you're not necessarily playing the instruments, but you're critical in making all that happen. This is great. Yeah. Very, very fun. Awesome. Well, so thank you So when are we going to so do this much. again, David? Like check in with each other in three, four months, see how the year's going? Absolutely. Well, you know, we're looking for it. I know you're, you're probably already thinking about your next book and we've got another one coming up. Uh, Courageous Cultures is what we're working on next. And so- uh, When does it come out? Uh, that one comes out in 2020. So we've got a ways to go uh, for that one, but uh, we're, we're, we're writing it. We're in the process right now. Manuscripts due in a few months. So what's, what's your writing process? Do you guys go like you do this chapter, I'll do that chapter or how do you? Yeah, that's a great question. Back to the co-authoring uh, uh, workshop, right? Is uh, we will divide up the manuscript and each take chapters and we try to do them at a, a week at a time if we can allocate the right amount of time where we're not out speaking or training and so right. on. And so like Karen will take chapter four, I'll take chapter five. 
we both write our drafts and we have compost piles. So any ideas that we might've had that are relevant to that go into a file Neat. and then the person has access to all of that. Plus they're thinking they write it up then we swap. And so the first thing you do the next week is edit what the person gave you. And then you're on to the next chapter you're responsible for. Love it. And so write a chapter, revise a chapter, write a chapter, revise a chapter, put it all together. And before you know it, you have a book. Yeah, I like that. That's good to know. That's really good to know. Well, I um, tell the LeadX audience how they can find out more about your work and um, plug your podcast again too, because obviously we got podcast listeners. Absolutely. So uh, first place to go is letsgrowleaders.com. And that's where you'll find access to all of the tools and resources that we have available for you. Lots of free downloads there to, to help you out. Um, the blog you can subscribe for. And then uh, also the podcast. So the best web address for the podcast is leadershipwithoutlosingyoursoul.com. And you can listen there. You can subscribe just about everywhere you're going to find podcasts. And then uh, Winning Well is the name of our book. And that's available on Amazon or anywhere you like to buy books. So Love Kevin, that. hopefully they'll go to all those places. And we, of course, will put the links in uh, the show notes and articles and stuff. Likewise. And now your turn. So for the Leadership Without Losing Your Soul audience, tell yeah. us about LeadX and, uh, uh, and where we can find your book and, and more about you and what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, the, the book, Great Leaders Have No Rules, bookstores, Amazon, um, you know, anywhere books are, are sold, of course. The LeadX Leadership Show is the name of the podcast. And leadx.org.org is the uh, company. And I'm not doing a lot of um, speaking or direct training these days, but we uh, created something we call LeadX Coach Amanda, which is an AI powered uh, like leadership coach. It so is really so cool, by the way. I mean, <laughs> I've got to tell you, if you, you want to check this thing out, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's fun and, and um it's 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 getting it's raising a lot of eyebrows. I mean, uh, you know, I always say if you can afford a human coach, go get yourself a human coach. Um, but for frontline managers that maybe don't have those resources, uh, it's a great way to to pick a top pick a leadership competency or behavior like accountability or giving recognition or whatever it might be. Uh, Amanda will give you a, a, a 12 item action plan. She'll buzz your phone, check in with you once a week, be your accountability buddy. And uh, it's got a bunch of resources, personality assessments. So that's the main focus these days. I'm back in um, business tech startup mode for better or for worse. Some days uh, it feels like it's for worse, but <laughs> that's just part of uh, startup life. So that's we're the journey. But you have found that intersection of the startup life and the entrepreneurial and leadership, which I love how you have brought all that together. And, and what a phenomenal tool and resource to make available for folks. Yeah, thanks. Well, until the next time, right, David? Until next time. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, everyone. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.